What's up, guys? This is Jim, and welcome to another edition of the Holmes Politicast. Uh, I'll be your host for today. If you haven't listened to it, we have an amazing podcast that we put out over the weekend with Tom and I both together, yes, reunited once every every once in a while we get together and do one. If you haven't listened to it, stop everything, turn this off, listen to it, and then come back because you're going to enjoy uh, some of the what we talked about is going to be a foundation for some of the things we're talking about here. So, yeah, definitely do that. It's an amazing show. Take a listen if you haven't already. <clears throat> we have a lot of news stories to go to today, uh, a lot of them having to do with COVID obviously, because that is the biggest issue that is facing our uh, state and our country right now. The first one is from Wood TV 8. Uh, and I don't, oh, by Rick Albin. He's a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, uh, journalist. And anyway, here's the headline. A bipartisan group of lawmakers suggests COVID-19 relief stopgap. And so it says the outline of a new bipartisan COVID relief plan was unveiled in Washington Tuesday. And while it will not please everyone, it might be a stopgap that could be passed before Congress goes home for Christmas. A large bipartisan group of senators and representatives introduced the program. 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats vowed to vote for the plan if it gets to the floor in its current form. Among them was U.S. Representative Fred Upton, a Republican from St. Joseph, a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus. It is important to note that the COVID emergency relief framework, if passed, would provide help in a number of areas, but would not include individual stimulus checks like Americans saw earlier in the year. The package would have a price tag of about $908 billion dollars. That is far less than the $2.2 trillion Democrats in the House have approved and at which Senate Republicans have balked. The smaller package is designed only as a temporary measure that would last through the first quarter of 2021, ensuring coverage in some areas until the new administration and Congress can revisit the problems. Among the big ticket items are $288 billion for continuing the Paycheck Protection Program to keep employees in hard-hit industries paid, $180 billion for unemployment insurance, $160 billion for state and local governments, $45 billion for transportation, including airports, airlines, and mass transit, and $16 billion for vaccine distribution. There would also be money for education, student loans, and housing. We know that a handful of senators and at least 50 members of the House are on board, but it's not clear what party leadership or the White House thinks of the plan. One thing is for sure, if there is any chance of it passing before the holiday recess, lawmakers have to work quickly, not always a hallmark of the federal government. I am encouraged to see that there are people on both sides of the aisle that are engaging in dialogue to see how we can help get through this moment, uh, Governor Whitmer said of the stopgap plan during her coronavirus briefing in Lansing. 
it may be uh, it maybe is not the long-term solution that we all want and need to see, but to help us in this moment would be a great thing and provide much needed support for families who are struggling, for businesses that are struggling, a bipartisan relief plan that requires leaders from both sides of the aisle to come together would be welcome news. Recognizing that Congress has failed to pass another coronavirus relief package, Whitmer has asked Michigan's legislature to take action. She wants it to pass a $100 million relief package. Congress is in action. Uh, why we need to take action at the state level, she said during a press conference. It's crucial that we come together now. Whitmer wants the Republican-led legislature to provide more in unemployment payments and codify a mask mandate already in effect under a Michigan Department of Health and Human Services order. The governor noted Representative Tommy Brand, a, a Republican from Wyoming, has voiced support for a statewide mask mandate, but Mr. Brand appears to be in the minority among his party. Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky has indicated they are not interested in any mask mandate. So, yeah, this is a, this is a huge, uh, uh, it's not a huge story, but it's a huge issue. And it's an important story because Congress is going to be uh, the legislature and the federal Congress is only has a week or two before they go on their Christmas break. They won't be coming back. Uh, they might only come back for a week, but I don't. Yeah, they'll have to come back to certify the results of the presidential election in early January. But I guess, well, when I think about it, that, uh, that'll be the first time they come back. And that's when they the new Congress takes over. So they've only got a couple of weeks here, like maybe two at the most, to get something passed. Otherwise, we're going to have to wait until next year, and everything will have to start over again. They have to, you know, uh, because it's a new term of Congress, these things aren't just going to roll over, because um, Congress has to start a new, basically, theoretically, they, they, they form a new government, theoretically. And so they can't just table a lot of this stuff until next year. It's got to be re-put out and, um, you know, and uh, so anyway, there's just a lot of a lot of issues that have to go into it. And there'll be new members of Congress and you might not be as is uh, they might not be as welcome to some of these programs. There might be a lot of posturing with the new administration trying, you know, um, you know, the Republicans in the Senate may or may not be too eager to work with uh, the new president if 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 all goes according to what is planned now and, and Biden takes office there's going to be questions you know that, that's going to be a legitimate question is you know how much did the Republicans want to work with Biden how much uh, you know do they want and it sounds it sounds callous and it sounds horrible that they would put politics above uh, above uh, the people, but it, it happens. I mean, there's going to be some members of Congress that are going to argue, some Republican members of Congress that are going to argue that we don't want to give Biden a big, you know, a big boost when he first gets into office and make it look like President Trump couldn't get anything done. But as soon as Biden comes in, he's able to do all these things. I'm not saying that's every member of Congress, but there are going to be some who are going to be hesitant about giving Biden any kind of a uh, an immediate, um, you know, something that he can hold on to and say, 
look, I, I got what done. I got done what Trump could. Um, so, you know, it's imperative they get it passed right away. And I, and I think I would think the president, President Trump would want to get something like this is, you know, again, if, if he leaves office, uh, leaving it on a high mark instead of being remembered the last few days as, you know, his last few weeks as president of, you know, um, challenging the election results and grumbling and complaining about, uh, you know, a rigged election and then not getting anything done for COVID. Um, you know, it, it would it would it would be a nice way to to end his presidency on a high note of having done something about COVID when, you know, and when all this criticism has been how he's done so little about COVID to be able to end on a high note and say, hey, we got the vaccine near the end of my term. We also got COVID relief. You know, um, so I think I think the White House would be open to it if the Congress can get their act together and get something passed. Um, otherwise, we'll have to wait until next year. And a lot of people can't wait until next year. It's just it's imperative they get something done immediately. They need to you know, get off their collective behinds and get to work for the people. Um, I kind of sound like Obama for the people. Uh, we need to get in them. We need to get it done for the people. Uh, here we have two articles. One of these um, is one of the things that Tom was talking about. Uh, I assume you've listened to the show now um, on over the weekend. And uh, actually, I you know, uh, another one of these articles talks about Sandusky. I, I think Sandusky, we were confused because there's a Sandusky, Ohio. I think there's a Sandusky in Michigan because it's an article about Michigan cities and it mentions Sandusky. So um, I think Tom was right when he said Sandusky. Um, I didn't think there was a city in Michigan called Sandusky. So I corrected him and said it was in Ohio, but I, I think Tom was actually right about it because they mentioned Sandusky in one of these articles I'll be getting to. So, um, so yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't wrong. I was on that. Um, but here, According to the Hill, the rest of this uh, the Hill magazine, um, the headline reads: Michigan restaurants urged to defy governor's COVID nineteen restrictions, and it's by Alexandra Kelly, and it is actually from November thirtieth. Uh, but it says the two owners of a Michigan restaurant chain reportedly wrote a letter asking other restaurateurs to continue operations regardless of whether or not state governor Whitmer and state health department officials implement stricter lockdowns than indoor dining. The Detroit Free Press reports that Joe and Rosalie Vicari, the owners of Andiamo restaurants in Detroit, penned a letter asking restaurants to fight any closures issued following the outcome of a lawsuit filed by the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association that seeks to halt the state's attempts at shutting dining operations down to prevent COVID-19 transmission. The Vicaris wrote that if they lose the lawsuit, the state will likely shut down dining operations throughout through the end of the year. Our industry cannot survive another extended closure, the letter reads. Thousands of restaurants and tens of thousands of our employees cannot survive it either. We need to band together and fight back, but we need to do this as a united group of Michigan restaurant owners. Rosalie Vicari confirmed to reporters 
that she and her husband authored the letters. <coughs> Part of Michigan's public health restrictions include closing down indoor dining and restaurants and bars organized and pro sports, in-person high schools, movie theaters, and other public spaces. These spaces will remain shut down for three weeks. The Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association sued the state over the mandate and was denied a temporary restraining order on the policy on November 20th. The next hearing is scheduled for November 30th. Uh, let me let me just get out of that article. Let me just say this real quick. Uh, I don't have any information yet on the hearing that was held on November 30th. I just need to state that there was a hearing. I do not have the details as of yet. I had trouble finding uh, what was decided in that hearing. So as soon as I find out, I'll give you an update on that. Continuing the article, it says, should the group lose again, the Vicaris suggest the restaurant owners in the area gather and organize a press conference to local and national media outlets to announce that as a powerful collective group, we will be reopening our restaurants on December 9th. Restaurants, bars, and other eateries have borne the brunt of the economic fallout catalyzed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Data from July indicates that roughly 60% of restaurants shut down due to the pandemic are permanently closed due to the stop of revenue. Let me say that again, 60% of the restaurants that shut down because of the pandemic have now permanently closed. That is a huge amount. In Michigan alone, thousands of restaurants are on the verge of shuttering, according to Justin Winslow, the president and CEO of the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. If the closure is prolonged and federal stimulus dollars are not made immediately available, upwards of 6,000 more restaurants will permanently close by spring, he reportedly wrote in a court document. The order comes as Michigan struggles to contain its rapid COVID-19 transmission. The Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Director, Robert Gordon, said the court's current decision to uphold the state's shutdown order will help save lives. Orders similar to this one has, have successfully stopped COVID surges in many other countries. That's why public health experts support the approach and we believe these targeted and temporary steps are needed to avoid overwhelmed hospitals and death counts like we saw in the spring, Gordon said following the November 20 decision. If all of us mask up and avoid indoor gatherings, we will not only save thousands of lives and protect our frontline health workers, but we'll also be able to enjoy indoor restaurant dining without fear. Well, okay, that's the end of that article. First of all, uh, I don't have any fear of dining. Um, that's not my concern. But this this really disturbs me, this article. When we try to, what really bothers me is when we try to compare our nation to other nations. We are a unique nation. We are not like other nations. America is not like other nations. Whether or not you want to agree that America is the best nation on earth, which I personally believe, or or not, it doesn't matter. You cannot argue that America is not a unique nation. We have a unique system of government. We have unique citizens. We are one nation made up of many nations. Each state has its own government, its own Supreme Court, its own legislature, its own governor. 
they have a national guard, their own military. We have, they each have their own economies. There are no other nations that are made up of several nations. So we are unique in that fact. England just recently ordered a lockdown of their country, complete lockdown. They can do that. Their citizens are subjects. They have no rights. They only have rights that are granted to them by their government. So they can issue a lockdown. They can have people arrested if they walk out of their homes without permission. France can do that. All these other nations have that ability to be able to have a complete and total shutdown because their citizens do not have rights granted to them by birth, by God himself. They have rights that are granted to them by the government. So they can literally shut down businesses. They can literally lock people in their homes and say, on penalty of arrest, or we will shoot you on sight if you come out of your home. They can do that. You can't do that in America. We have, you have no, our government has no right, whether state or federal, to issue a mandatory mask policy. Now, stores can. I mean, they have the no shirts, no shoes, no service rule. They can have a no mask. Or if you have no mask, you can't be served. They have the ability to do that. They are a private company. But as individuals, you can't force us to stay in our house indefinitely. You can't force us to wear masks. I mean, you can plead with us. You can, you can argue with us. You can plead with us. You can give us incentives. But you can't. It is not the same thing. And, and. You know, and not every state is going to feel the same way. States like Arkansas and Texas and Florida and South Dakota are very liberal when it comes to a mask policy. You know, if you want to wear a mask, you can. If you don't, which is funny because they're very conservative states, but they're very liberal when it comes to masks and shutdowns. And then states that are very liberal, like California and New Mexico and even to a certain degree Michigan, are very conservative when it comes to mask policy you must do it so I, I just don't like this robert gordon who says that the reason we need to lock down everything is because other countries do it and they don't have a problem with it and the people comply and numbers are going down well that's just it's very different than the united states of america we aren't other countries you can't just model what they do and say well we'll do the same thing we just can't do it our system of government is different you're the people rule. We're the boss. Other countries, the government is the boss. So uh, I don't like that. Uh, I'm not, you know, if, if, you know, and I'm, but then the second part of it is I'm very concerned. As you know, anybody who's been listening to me since March, I've been very, very concerned about the prospect of a double recession or a complete economic depression because of what we're doing. And we're not seeing, in my opinion, we're not seeing the efficacy of the shutdowns and wearing masks. We still have numbers that are rising, even though people have been wearing masks since March, even though businesses have been shut down on and off since March. We're still surging in our state. I don't see the benefit. Um, I, I don't see how it's slowing the spread. I don't see how it's really accomplishing anything. I know they would probably argue that things would be much worse without it, but 
I, I don't, I honestly at this point can't see how it could be much worse. I mean, we're, we've now jumped to number three or four in the country again for, uh, of COVID cases. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I really, I really don't see the impact that's having. Um, so something needs to be done. I mean, if, if a person doesn't want to go out to eat and I understand that my parents are like that, my parents are very cautious about going out to eat. You know, they're in that age range where, um, if they got COVID, they, they would be much more susceptible to death. They've chosen not to go out to eat, uh, and not to go to places where there are large gatherings. That is their right to do so. But if a person says, I want to, I don't see how the government should be telling people the, the businesses have to shut down because if a person wants to, they can't be allowed to. And that's the first thing. And then I'm also concerned about these people who this is their, this is their, um, this is their, their, a way of living. This is this is how they survive. This is how they provide for their families. Um, they're providing a service, and I don't. I might have less of a problem with it. I mean, I would have a problem with it, but I would have less of a problem with it if the government was going to pay them. You know, um, during this time, uh, either pay them a monthly salary or um, give give them back money from their taxes or whatever. Um, you know, and said, well, you know, of no fault of your own, you have to shut down. We're requiring you to shut down. So therefore we're going to give you money to compensate you for being shut down so that you, when, when you're ready to open it back up again, when, not when you're ready, when we allow you to open up again, you'll have money. Um, you know, you're not going to go broke. You can still pay for things. You can still, you know, uh, but I would have less of a problem with it. But they're not doing that. They're expecting these people just to shut down and and come up with money to feed their families, I guess, through, you know, returning pop bottles or digging through their couch for loose change. I mean, I don't know where they think people are going to come up with the money to pay rent and mortgage and, and buy food and clothing and all these things while, while this just goes on and on and on, these shutdowns. So I, I, I'm really annoyed that they haven't come up with something that they, that they can't pick or choose. You've either got to shut down everything and compensate the people for, for the time they're being, they're being shut down because it's of no fault of their own. They're not being lazy. They're not choosing to stay home. They're being forced to, they should have some compensation or let them know you're open. And, you know, and do what they need to do to survive. I mean, it just, it just really, it just really bothers me that, that they're, you know, and I, I mean, I, I guess if I just keep saying, I'm just going to keep repeating myself. So I'm just going to stop there, but it just, it really bothers me. Along those same lines, Michigan, uh, Capcon, a capital, I don't, can't remember what it stands for. I, I say this every week. I can't remember. <laughs> can't remember what um, Capcom stands for. Uh, Michigan Capital and Congress, I think, or so, I don't know. But the headline just shows a Michigan news source, Capcom. Um, so anyway, 
The article is by Tom Gantert, and it says four bars and restaurants fined and three others have liquor licenses suspended for COVID violations. The Michigan Department of Health and Human Services issued citations with fines of up to $5,000, and the Michigan Liquor Control Commission suspended the liquor licenses for bars and restaurants on Wednesday, alleging they were in violation of the public health order that was issued November 15th. The liquor licenses for three businesses in Nuego, Fremont, and Fenton were suspended, and four businesses in Sandusky, Calumet, Lapeer, and Fenton were fined between $1,000 and $5,000. The violations were, were of the most recent MDHHS order put out by Director Robert Gordon. Well, there he is again, Robert Gordon. Restaurants and bars were to close dine-in services effective November 18th. Uh, our, offices, our office is working closely with the commission as it exercises its duties, and we are preparing to prosecute these summary suspensions said Attorney General Dana Nessel in a press release. Although none of us wants to take such actions, the deliberate and blatant defiance of the state emergency public health orders by these owners put their businesses at risk. While we are heartbroken at the toll these closures invariably have on the business affected, first and foremost, the state has an obligation to protect the lives of our residents. And I'm sure they're heartbroken. Oh, it just tears them apart to do this. Oh, here we go. Michigan Capital Confidential. That's what it is. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, this is just ridiculous. Absolutely. Robert Gordon strikes again. Um, oh, and they have a picture here. And this one bothers me. A picture at a restaurant, which a sign says, you must wear a mask when not seated. Thank you from your government. God, that just sounds like something right out of the Third Reich. Your government requires that you must wear a mask at all times. We have taken away Thanksgiving. If you do not comply, we will take away your Christmas as well. These people sound like Nazis. I'm so tired of this. Um... All right, this is an article. This has nothing to do with COVID, but it's something I, I didn't know about, interestingly enough. I didn't even know that you had this department. But, um, oh, MLive has an article. Some of these articles are protected and some aren't. This one is not protected. Um, Ottawa County permanently preserves another 168 acres of farmland. This one just caught my eye. It really doesn't affect us anyway. So I'm Michael Kranz, um, just because I didn't know this was a, a, a thing. Uh, but it says a farmer with agricultural roots in Ottawa County, tracing back to the 1860s, has preserved his 168 acres of farmland in perpetuity. Jim Klein's 168-acre property in Chester Township was permanently protected as farmland through the country's farmland preservation program. Protecting our property was a no-brainer, said Klein. I was worried my farm may not be here forever. This is the part that surprised me. The preservation was done through the Ottawa County Farmland Preservation Program and made possible by a Michigan Department of Agricultural and Rural Development grant, or MDARD. The 438,700 
$50 grant from MDARD for the purpose, purchase of Klein's development rights was announced in February. Through the, through the county's volunteer program, farm owners are compensated for giving up developmental potential for their land for other uses, for uses other than agriculture. Participants retain ownership of their land and other rights associated with it, but a permanent conservation easement restricting land use to agricultural purposes is placed on the property, preserving this farmland in perpetuity and preventing alternate types of development. Anyway, there's a whole article on here if you want to read it on MLive. But I, I just didn't realize, I know that they have, the government has things to protect swamp land and protect, you know, certain types of property. But I didn't know that they had something to permanently preserve farmland. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I don't know how, I, I don't know. I'd have to look into it. I don't know how I feel about necessarily the government buying farmland to preserve it. But um, but it is interesting only because uh, I was driving uh, the other day on a personal story. I was driving the other day with my father. We were heading somewhere and I and he was telling me, we were looking at uh, some residential areas and my dad was telling me that this area all used to be farmland. And I remember um, it, it's just odd because it was like two or three days ago. And I remember thinking to myself about uh, how much farmland has been destroyed over the years. Uh, we've been developing a lot of this old farmland and turning it into uh, residential housing and, and sub subdivisions and and things. And so it's just it just was kind of uh, ironic, maybe or odd, that then I read this article about how we have a program in Michigan to preserve farmland. But anyway, if you're more interested in that, it's called the Ottawa County Farmland Preservation Program. So if you want to look that up, and there's the article on MLive, if you want to see that. Um, the, the last article is uh, on culture. And... I shouldn't let these things bother me. It really has nothing to do with me. It shouldn't bother me. But anyway, there's an actress named Ellen Page. She was in a movie called Juno. She is... Don't, you know... You can be forgiven for not knowing who Ellen Page is. She's like a D-list actress and celebrity. She was in a movie called Juno, um, which was dumb. I saw it years ago. I didn't like it. I've never cared for her personally. She's so dour and negative. I mean, just in all of her interviews, she she comes off as she thinks she's smarter, more enlightened than everybody else. Um, you know, I I just I just don't like her attitude when she does interviews. She seems to be like she hates celebrities. She hates the fact that no one's paying attention to her, but yet she seems to thrive on celebrity. But she doesn't want to answer questions. She thinks there are bigger issues to be talking about than her new movie. She's also in a, uh, a TV show on Netflix called The Umbrella Academy. Um, and anyway, this celebrity, and use, it, use that term loosely, uh, has now announced that she is transgender. And 
that she's changing her name to Elliot. And she, her pronouns are he and they. I don't know when you're supposed to use he and when you're supposed to use they. Um, and so she announced this on her Instagram and gives this whole diatribe about, about uh, how this is her authentic self and, you know, and took, gives, she's got, it's taken so much courage for him to her to come forward and make this announcement. And, oh, it's just, you know, she feels so blessed to be able to stand up and, and tell her true self and her story and all this. And the media, of course, um, is just loving it. They're immediately giving us talking about um, calling her Elliot and referring to her as him. And there are so many bigger issues going on in the country. I really shouldn't let it bother me, but this really gets under my skin. I just, I don't know why. This bothers me so much, um, and I, I really hesitated to even talk about it because it's just giving her the attention that she does desperately wants because there's no reason for this. But I also wonder, she plays a woman on the Umbrella Academy. Are they going to make her character transgender? Um, because if not, then there's been a big move in Hollywood about how, you know, uh, transgender people and non-binary people should only be played by transgender and non-binary people. Gay characters should only be played by gay people. So wouldn't it be the same argument that she's stealing a role away from a straight woman if she plays this and continues to play a woman on the show? Um, so I don't know. I just... I don't know when we're going to come back to our senses. I just think this is just so annoying on every level. I think it's confusing. I think it's abnormal. I think it's a mental health issue. She needs help. And I'm not saying that to be flippant. She has a mental problem. I don't know what that is. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I don't know if she needs medication to help her thinking. I don't know if she's just got extreme narcissism. And so she does these things for attention. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know because, you know, I've heard about uh, people in asylums. I don't know if that's, if that's the proper term, but um, these sanitariums who, uh, who believe that they're Jesus Christ. I've seen others who believe that they are Teddy Roosevelt or uh, George Washington or Napoleon. I've heard about the Napoleon issue and they are there because they believe they are someone they are not. And I don't know what that's called. I don't know what kind of medications they're put on. I don't know how these issues are addressed and how they're fixed. But she obviously is of that same mind. She a woman believes now she's a man. And that needs to be addressed. It should not be embraced. It should not be rewarded or celebrated. 
she has a mental disorder. Like I said, I don't know what that is. I can't, I'm not going to sit here and, and be an armchair psychologist and say, well, she suffers from this, this, and this, and we need to give her this medication or we need to lock her up or whatever. I don't know. But if a person came to me and said they are Jesus Christ, I would say that person has some kind of a disorder. I wouldn't need to be a doctor to know there's something wrong with this person. I might not know how to treat them. I might not know what to do about it. But I would know that they have a mental disorder. And if a 30-year-old woman, I don't know how old she is, but she's she's been doing you – know, that movie Juno came out in the early 2000s. So, you know, she may have been a teenager at that point, but she was at least a teenager, late teenager. So she's probably in her 30s, late 30s. If a 30-year-old, 30 30-some-year-old 30 woman comes to me now or on the Internet and claims that she's now a man by the name of Elliot, um, it doesn't take a psychologist to be able to say she's got a problem and she needs help. Again, I, I don't know why I let it bother me. I mean, I don't like the situation, obviously. But, you know, at the same time, I really don't care what some Hollywood liberal does. I mean, you know, you know, if she wants to be a vegetarian, that's fine. I mean, it's not my problem. You know, if she wants to think she's a boy, okay, it's not my problem. Um, it doesn't really affect me. So I don't know why I let it bother me so much. But this just, as soon as I heard this, it's just gotten under my skin. And I just felt I had to say something about it to somebody. I'm, I'm just, I'm very concerned as a society why we are tolerating this when these people need help. And we're doing this uh, and we're allowing children to make these decisions as well. It, it just, it really concerns me, this, uh, this move toward uh, non-science bothers me. Um, uh, there's an article in the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom, which, uh, you know, again, isn't the United States, obviously, but it says that their high court, which is the equivalent of the Supreme Court, rules children as young as 13 can, will be allowed to take puberty blockers at transgender clinics. It's just it just bothers me that the so-called party of science has denied actual science. They deny science when it comes to abortion. They deny science when it comes to homosexuality and transgender issues. Um, and there's others too, but those those immediately popped to mind that they, they've just completely denied and ignored science. And they say, well, everything is a social construct. And again, the Ellen Page thing bothers me too, because she's been this feminist for a long time. You talk about girl power and how women can do anything. And she believes in feminism and girl power so much that she decides to become a man. I, I don't understand this. I, I just don't understand. You know, they keep saying that, you know, 
women, you know, all these things about women, how strong they are, how, you know, great women are, girl power, girls can accomplish so much. We need to stop shaming girls and shaming women and putting them into a box. But then these feminists keep fleeing being a woman and want to be a man. I don't understand if they're so proud of womanhood and so proud of what women can accomplish. Why do they keep becoming men then? Why don't they just stay women and say, look, I'm a woman, I'm a strong woman, I can do anything a man can do. Instead they say, they're almost implying, I can't do anything a man can do, I wanna be a man. You know, and then these same women who say women can do everything a man can do are allowing men to join their sports, you know, as transgendered women. Like, if, why would you let men join your sports if you wanna prove that women are good, then now men have inundated it and then these men keep winning medals because they outdo all the women. They're, they're just disproving their argument that women are just as good as men because the men take over their sport and then they, oh, wow, these transgendered women are making our team so much better because they're faster than all the other real women. It's because they're men. So you can't say that women are just as strong as men or just as fast as men or anything like that because they're men you're allowing to compete, you know, with long hair and, you know, acting like women. I just, I, I, I just don't understand it, folks. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't like it. And it just bothers me to no end. So anyway, oh, that's about all the time we have for this week, or at least this show. Um, so anyway, I'll talk to you all for sure next week. And I hope you all have a great week and a great rest of your day. And uh, we'll be back real soon. Um, all right. Bye, everyone.